Hello everybody, this is Salil Tripathi from the Institute for Human Rights and Business here in Geneva at Palais de Nation where the annual forum for business and human rights is meeting for the fourth time uh, this November. And I'm here with David Bilschitz who teaches at the University of Johannesburg and he's a professor on, in, in law, international law. And he has recently written with Surya Deva a book which examines the need for and the scope for a treaty or an international legal instrument to cover the area of business and human rights. So thank you for sharing the time with us, David. Thank you uh, for inviting me, Salim. Thank you. My first question is, why the treaty? Why do we need a treaty when we have as the existing laws, we have international laws in some respects, and primarily respons primary responsibility of going after a company that is abusing rights rests with the state where the abuse occurs? Salim, we need a treaty for a variety of reasons. Um, and I'm going to give you four arguments in sure. short for the treaty. The first is that there is no clear expression in international law that businesses and corporations are bound by fundamental rights. And it is crucial that a treaty makes that claim that it binds corporations in law. Why is that important? Because in cases, for example, where um, a, there is a violation of rights by a a company, um, often what happens is the only remedy lies against the state for failing to regulate the company. Right. But that would be very odd, right? Because why isn't the primary abuser the site of, uh, of um, a claim? It's strange that one should do this by proxy, right? And the problem is that the proxy is not always a good substitute for the actual company itself one needs to actually uh, often go after the company because the state itself is incapable of remedying the situation. So that is, that is one of the first reasons, is to firstly provide a clear articulation of the bindingness of fundamental rights for all agents, not just the state. That's the first key argument. So the question I have based from that is that very often it's a security force which does the abuse and which is often under state control and often if it's a multinational company, the multinational company has only a 40 or 30 percent stake. The primarily, uh, the majority stake is with the, with the state-owned company or the government itself. And what the company would turn around and tell you is that, look, you're giving us a responsibility for human rights without giving us any authority to control the security forces or the state and this is a sovereign matter and there's nothing we can do about it. Now, but clearly there's some, some merit in that argument and certainly where a company lacks uh, responsibility or lacks control, yeah. its liability will be reduced right. in a similar vein. We can't hold people responsible for what they are not in control of. Right. At the same time, Companies are in control of many things, mm -hmm. and in many areas, they are the dominant force in control of people's lives, in control of their very livelihoods, in control of their environment in which they live, and which affects their basic ability to live. And so, what we are worried about is that companies can actually um, uh, can, can say to uh, that it's not our problem, we're not bound, it's the state that has to have laws to bind us. But what happens in cases where the state doesn't have laws, or those, those um, responsibilities are not enforced, um, then the company seems to be able to get off scot-free. We, we believe that it's very powerful and important for the company to be bound, to, be, to be, have those obligations, and this is, leads to the second argument, that actually the obligations of a company 
are not necessarily equivalent to those of the state. Okay. So the state may have different obligations from the company. And one of the important aspects of a treaty is going to be to enable the development of standards to bind companies in relation to fundamental rights in a more concrete way. And I see that happening through like a mechanism like a committee which in other treaties helps us develop standards for the particular expression and obligations that these rights entail. Let me give you an example. Privacy rights. Mm -hmm. right? We might have certain obligations that the state has not to monitor people's communications. But in a company it's more complicated. The company may have a legitimate reason why it needs to monitor communications to protect its reputation, um, to ensure that, it's, it's, uh, that people are not violating laws, etc. At the same time, there's limits and restrictions on what it may or may not do. And what exactly are the obligations of a company in relation to its employees on the right to privacy? We need that kind of concrete articulation to take place, the development of those standards. And my view is that a treaty provides a way in which to provide a coherent and, um, and universal expression of those goals. That's the second argument. Third argument is that we have the development of a very strong um, business-orientated hard obligations at the international law level. We have this in areas of trade and we have this in area of investment. And these have hard binding obligations. And they have very strong implications for fundamental rights. In my country, take for example issues of pharmaceuticals. That the World Trade Organization um, framework actually had an implication for whether or not pharmaceuticals would be accessible at a price that people could afford to save mm -hmm. them from HIV AIDS. Now, um, if we have nothing with the same level of bindingness at international law, if we do not have hard human rights obligations on businesses right, which can compete with the obligations in international commercial law and international trade law, then we, in a sense, prioritize those trade and investment treaties over fundamental rights, and it should actually be, in my view, the other way around. We need equally strong binding human rights obligations on business. And the last problem relates to remedies. Um, how do we ensure that people can gain access to remedies when they are themselves denied their fundamental rights? And the problem is really a global problem because companies operate in a global way and they are able often to place a subsidiary of a company in one state which they know is not going to enforce the laws very strictly and ma make profits and those decisions are made in other states. And the question is how at an international level do we hold the whole corporate form, the, the principal company responsible for what it does in, across the world. Um, so uh, an example, Nigeria. We just heard at one of the sessions at the forum that 20 years ago, Ken Sarawiwa, a, a strong leader of the Ogoni people, was killed and executed by the Nigerian government for his involvement in activities which non-violently was attempting to challenge the environmental pollution that Shell had wreaked on the, on the population in Nigeria. And um, the question is, if we simply attack Shell in Nigeria, we may not be able to really get to the core of the problem, to the, to, to the real uh, people who are benefiting from its activities. Mm -hmm. And so we need to find a way internationally to deal with the problem and where the state, in fact, fails to do so, uh, where, the, uh, where the government has no willingness to do so, 
we need some international mechanism to hold Shell liable either in another country or at some kind of international uh, mechanism and we can talk about that. But the mechanism, the issue that I see is that you are expecting the states to cede some of their sovereignty because you are going to be able to take a company outside its jurisdiction, try it elsewhere. Uh, the record has been quite underwhelming, shall we put it that way, that the states are very unwilling to give up sovereignty. They say they can fix it and they think that their jurisdiction is able to deal with the problem. Uh, how does one overcome that and how long do you see this process to be to come to a conclusion? So this is a really interesting point and it, and it raises the core of the question, which is in a sense that there's what we often term a collective action problem, right. that every individual state really, they might have some reason to act in this area of fundamental rights, but then they have countervailing reasons not to act, such as investment, etc., and they, they don't want to be, each be a less attractive destination for foreign investment right. and be threatened. Right. So what's the way to solve the collection problem is to take collective action, is to actually get together and agree on standards that we all will follow together and that none of us are going to be disadvantaged by doing so. And this is one of the key benefits of a treaty. A treaty will enable, on the one hand, states to come together and to say, these are the common standards by which we all are bound and all corporations are bound and we're not going to compete in relation to who can be better or worse in relation to fundamental rights. We are going to commit to certain standards. And just like the UN Convention Against Corruption, which did a similar thing, right? It set common standards that everyone would agree to. Um, I see this treaty as being as, as acting in a similar way. The other potent other option is also for the states, and as you said, this would be a more radical option, um, is not only simply to agree to enact certain things within their own domain but would actually be to accept that there's a need for some kind of international tribunal here, of international body where people can go to, um, and to recognize that actually the state often is weak in relation to um, corporations. Often sometimes it gets uh, the, the advantages that corporations offer them leads the state not to act adequately, um, and also that many states are kind of weak in being able to enforce things against fundamental uh, corporations. And so the idea would be to actually, we don't have to deal with that problem, we're going to collectively create an international tribunal. I think that's a very nice solution, but I, I don't know whether there will be the political will for that. That's what I was coming to, because even the convention, convention took a long time. Convention is, does not have a legally binding nature. You can't take a company or anybody to court over it. It has to again fall prey to the domestic jurisdictional argument. And given the amount of time it might take to build the kind of tribunal you're talking about, um, the question is, what do I do Monday morning? You know, if I'm a victim in Niger Delta, yes. um, uh, isn't it? A, I mean, isn't the fact that this is going to be an enormously long time, and it should we should recognize that it may be a remedy, but in the distant future. Look, I agree, and I don't think we should discount current initiatives. So right. in my view, no, no, certainly the, not. Yeah. The, the treaty is not meant to su supersede the advances made by the UN Guiding Principles and various other initiatives, which we should continue in parallel and we should yeah. continue to develop. The reality is what we're hearing from people on the ground is without a harder instrument, without alternative mechanisms and stronger enforcement, we're not going to succeed in addressing the dire consequences that fundamental right, for fundamental rights that business can affect. And unfortunately in the world today, um, business is not on the retreat. It's, it's growing, yes. it's developing. That can be a good thing. That can be good for 
populations, but it also can be very harmful and if it's not placed within certain constraints. And this is ultimately, this agenda is about establishing a fairer world, in my view. Right. It's a world in which, yes, we do go for business. We, I don't see this as an anti-business agenda. Um, I see utilize, ensure that business can in, uh, create benefits for society, but at the same time it does not create dire harms mm -hmm. and actively sees itself as being part a partner in seeking to advance rights, which ultimately are the most foundational normative claims that anyone, any of us can have. And business people have them too. Absolutely, so we yeah. should we should never think that we we, we, we can't um, convince business people, many of them who I meet, who, who would be horrified to be involved in fundamental rights abuses. Mm -hmm. And many people, at least privately, express support for the idea that business is not an exception mm -hmm. and that having harder obligations will in fact make business take even stronger note than what is current of, of what it should be doing in relation to fundamental rights than what it is doing currently. Thank you very much and all the best in your work and I do hope that you have the two things you need to make it work which is the political will and collective action because I think without that states do have to play their role and unless they come to the plate it will remain a struggle and a campaign and the victims certainly deserve quicker relief than that. I agree and thank you very much for the interview.